Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Good morning. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. I have three guests today, three guests on my show, and it's all about sex today. The first guest is Stephen Tetro. He's a nationally syndicated columnist, Advocate.com, Huffington Post, GayWeddings.com, and Yahoo, author of Complete, he is the author of Complete Gay and Lesbian Manners, and you can go to GayManners.com. Uh, he's going to talk about if you find yourself in confusing social situations with your gay friends, colleagues, family members, peers, or strangers. Uh, it's by his book, and you have all the answers as how to act, interact, and react. Our second guest is Tracy Faust, author of Nowhere Near Normal. She chronicles her life growing up with obsessive-compulsive disorder, OCD, anxiety, and clinical depression. And today she's going to link her experience with the obsessive body image issues associated with young girls. And third, uh, my third guest brings us right to the heart of the matter, Nicole Didon, Slow Sex, the Art and Craft of the Female Orgasm. And she's going to talk to us about some of the startling statistics related to female orgasms. But first is Stephen Petro, author of Complete Gay and Lesbian Manners. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Stephen. Well, glad to be on with you, Catherine. <laughs> glad to be on my sex show this morning. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. I... You don't have to say anything. That's fine. Okay. I love your book. It's great. It's a huge book. It is. It's like kind of, it's this, like Miss Manners. It's the same thing. But why do we need a special book for gay and lesbian? Some of my best friends, many of my best friends and family are gay and lesbian, mm-hmm. transgendered as well. So why do they need a special manners book? Well, Catherine, that's a really great question. And uh, I, I joke with people that it's not like gay people set the table differently or that we <laughs> treat house guests any differently. R- rest assured of that. But, um, you know, when it comes to all these new social situations, um, same-sex weddings, uh, families that have new, new definitions, uh, folks coming out, straight people are really confused about, as you said, how to act, react, and interact. And um, that's really one of the main reasons that I wrote this book, to answer those questions, to help, um, help folks navigate, uh, navigate this, this, this new land. And then the other reason is for LGBT people, too, who are planning weddings, um, who are two moms in a family and, and um, or maybe coming out. So um, 
two audiences, one big fat book, um, A to Z, and, uh, you know, I'm not Miss Manners, but they sometimes call me Mr. Manners. Mr. Manners. Well, Stephen, <laughs> you know... But I'm I... on my good behavior. Yeah. <laughs> well, you better be on good behavior if you wrote the Manners book, but, um, you know, one of the topics, and it, it really hit me because I'm thinking, okay, so what, you know, you're describing some of the differences, but, you know, we can get, like, specific cause in mm-hmm. terms of the chapters, because especially with coming out, because that's always an issue. Like, let's say I, and I've been in these situations where, say, I have a friend who has come out to me and maybe to other people that I know, but I don't necessarily know if he's come out to other people if we're in a social situation. And that's a whole big issue. Like, what do you say? Or do you acknowledge right. that? Yeah, so that's yeah, very specific. Yeah, and, um, like, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a confusing issue for, um, you know, actually for straight people and gay people. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you a little story that, um, you know, is, is one of my faux pas. I had, um, I had a friend, a lesbian friend, who had come out, and she'd come out to a group of her friends. And uh, we also worked together. And um, I made casual reference in the workplace to the fact that she was a lesbian. And um, she hadn't come out at work, and she wasn't ready to do that. And, um, you know, so I kind of stepped into it into it myself, and, um, you know, the advice that I actually have uh, for others now based on, on this experience and, and, you know, and others is always, um, always be respectful of this kind of information, and um, when there's any doubt, ask your friend or your coworker whether it's fine to share or whether this should be kept private, and, um, and they will tell you, and then, and then you won't have the problem that I did. Yeah, you really... Put your foot in it. <laughs> uh, you know, I did, and you know, it's good. To, it's sometimes good to to learn a lesson, but um, you know, I wish I hadn't learned learned this one. Um, but you know, even you know, with Facebook these days, it's um, one has to be really careful because you know, you may um, you may put up uh, photos or you may change your relationship status and think that you're limiting um, you're limiting that to your circle of friends, and you know, those privacy controls. Um, don't always work so well, so you may wind up telling more people than you anticipated. Um, so, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, if you're the person coming out, sort of understanding um, who you want to know and, um, and, um, and letting them know that. And, uh, so, Stephen, would you say, let's say you, you meet somebody, you're, you're, you, you're introduced to somebody, they become your friend, and they're mm-hmm. gay, lesbian, um, or, or a gay man, whatever, and then do you just, is it, Proper manners, just to say, I just have to say, you know, I know you're gay. I know you're a lesbian. Do I? Who can I tell, or who can I not tell? I mean, do you just confront somebody? I no. mean, you no. know what I'm saying? No. Is that is that proper manners? No, that that would not be proper manners. <laughs> you would, um, in any case, you would want your friend, your new friend, uh, your child to tell you to take that initiative. You don't really want to, as you say, confront or even ask because. Coming out is a is a very individual process, and these days, you know, some people do it, you know, very, um, you know, very easily. Oh, you know, I'm Stephen. I'm going out with Jim. That's how I've told you know everybody that I'm that I'm a gay man. Um, others, you know, want to take their time and build up trust in a relationship, and um, so you want to um, you want to let them come to you with that information, and then then you would say, thank you, you know, thank you for telling me. Um, I'm really happy for you. Um, is it okay if I tell mom and dad, or is it okay if I you know, tell other people or not? That makes sense. 
Yeah, it does make sense. I think there are, because I'm very involved in the gay and lesbian community here in, in New York, and I think one of the things that I think there are big differences, generational differences. I don't know if you found that when you wrote the book, but a lot of young people now, middle school, high school, these kids are coming out, and that's who they are, and, you know, like me or don't, but it's no, it's not a secret. No, ab- you know, absolutely it's a generational thing. I think it's thing. a good thing. But... What's that? Which I think is a good thing. It's a great thing, yeah. and... um you know, um, on the one hand, you know, I know of um, I know of a ten-year-old girl, ten, eleven-year-old girl, who's um, whose moms are lesbian, and um, uh, last year she announced um, at the dinner table that she was a lesbian too, um, and you know, that was that, and she, you know, she, um, you know, and it kind of gets to the point that um, you know this is about identity and, and certainly not a, about sex at that age, but um, you know, and for some people still it's um. It is challenging, and I was surprised. Um, I live here in North Carolina, and I was over at Duke University about a year and a half ago at the Gay and Lesbian Center. And all 12 um, young people who were there, they were completely out on campus. They were involved in this group, but none of them were out to their parents yet. And um, that was because they still feared that they might not find the same love or they might have some financial repercussions. And, um, you know, that, that that part surprised me, it, it, you know, at this point in time. So, you know, it's definitely evolving, um, but we're not there yet. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It is evolving, and, and everybody's, and everybody's, you know, how they, um, as you say, how they handle themselves and who they are. It's unique. It's personal. It has to do with themselves and their own family specifically. I think, I think it was in your book where you mentioned that you should, that very often. Uh, a young person will come out, or just not necessarily so young, but when somebody first comes out, they'll come out to another person who is gay or lesbian, or they come out uh, to uh, siblings before they come out to parents, which was not surprising. Um, and so there are, you know, lots of different ways, I guess, of revealing yourself. But, okay, that's just one topic that you have in the book. I mean, this is a huge book for listeners, so if you want to get the book, um, you can buy it at bookstores everywhere, obviously, online, and go to GayManners.com, which is your website, but I just, you know, since there's also let's kind of skip topics because you also address like traveling, and I think that's I travel a lot, so I'm really mm-hmm. interested in this specific travel issues related to members of the gay community. Well, you know, it's it's really interesting, Catherine. So when I was writing the book, I, I used my Facebook page quite a bit to um, start conversations and solicit information and. Um, that's at uh, Gay Matters on Facebook. And um, when I started the travel section, I had um, a couple of um, straight um, folks say, how would travel be any different for, you know, for a gay lesbian person than for a straight person? You know, travel is travel. And, um, you know, what I explained is that, you know, for many of us, when we're checking into, particularly into a smaller hotel or a bed and breakfast or we're in a community that we're not that familiar with, um, there's often some anxiety about how you'll be treated um, by that clerk. And, um, and even, you know, the question, you know, if you have two men checking in and they say um, two beds, um, you know, assuming that you're, you're friends and then you say one bed, you know, you have both, you're both coming out at that point and, um, and you're in a little bit of an unknowing situation. So, um, you know, there's that kind of situation. Then there's also the situation where, you are subject to some form of homophobia, um, you know, in, in an environment like that. And, you know, and what is the, you know, what is the right way to act there? You know, you don't, I don't think you want to get into any kind of um, shouting match, but, 
you have certain tools that are proper to use, which are going to the manager, um, perhaps going on Yelp and talking about the situation, and um, you know, and bringing this out, you know, into into the public, uh, you know, and uh, making you know making an issue of it that way. So there are definitely issues that come up for um, gays and lesbians traveling, and um, and um, you know, it's an important part of um, of the book. And. I think it was uh, a couple weeks ago in the New York Times, you know, in the travel section, they had like a little paragraph, and it was gay-friendly uh, travel resorts and hotels uh, around the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I guess you could go to the website and, and, and listed them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the thing that you brought up that I think a lot of, you know, folks wouldn't think about, yeah, two men, we want one bed, we want a king-size bed. And uh, and the other, that sort of ties goes back, Stephen, to, like, coming out. So here you are coming out with the hotel clerk, but you can't come out to your own parents. Right, and, you know, it also sort of makes the point that, you know, gay people are forever coming out. You know, you're coming out in high school. You come out on your job. You're coming out on vacation. Um, You know, uh, a lot of uh, my straight friends think, oh, you know, coming out is just this one step, and then you're there. So, you know, that's definitely not the case. And um, But also, you know, um, you're right. There are um, websites that have gay-friendly listings of, of hotels and um, and, and other um, resorts. And some straight people may be wondering well, why would why would why would gay people want to go to uh, you know a place like that? It sounds like um, you know they just want to be with you know their own kind. And um, you know part of it is you know often um, families will go to family-friendly resorts because they want to be you know around other kids. And seniors may go to you know, environments that cater more to their own interests and needs. And, you know, it's really kind of part of that as well as, you know, wanting to both feel comfortable and safe, you know, when you're I on totally, vacation. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I go to resorts because my kids are grown mm-hmm. where kids aren't welcome because <laughs> I don't yeah, want to be right. surrounded by little kids. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh yeah, so I definitely understand that. When you talk about, we only have a couple of minutes left because I think this whole coming out thing is really important because a friend of mine who's a lesbian said to me, well, did you ever think about she and her um, partner just bought a big house and they had to get cleaning help and stuff, and she said, so we have to come out to my cleaning lady uh, because yes. they, they, they're in our bedroom and they're cleaning, she's cleaning, you know, we have our one bed, and I hadn't thought about that for some reason. No, it's, you know, it's, it's you know, you know, uh, your housekeeper is going to, you know, be as intimate with your life as just about anybody else. And, you know, there you don't necessarily have to say anything. It probably will be quite, you know, quite apparent. But, um, but it, you know, it is a little bit of a process. And, um, you know, and you certainly, you know, in that particular situation, you're going to want to have someone who is, you know, comfortable, um, you know, working for you and, um, you know, if not supportive. What about the uh, Verizon guy who has to come up and fix the telephone in your bedroom? I mean, I could, you know, or the plumber who fixed the toilet in your bathroom, or all of those people who have access to your house and your lifestyle. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a, little, a little story here. So when my partner and I moved to Chapel Hill five years ago, um, there are a lot of gay people here, but it sort of isn't the default when they see a same-sex couple. And so they thought we were friends. They thought we were brothers. They thought we were roommates. <laughs> and... Um, you know, I had to say sort of repeatedly and gently, my partner Jim, you know, my partner Jim, and they finally, they finally understood, um, oh, they're partners. And, um, but then, you know, that was definitely, you know, another coming out. 
And um, but again, you know, most um, you know most straight people are just confused about how to maneuver these situations, and um, so that's the that's really the purpose of the book to provide some guideposts to all of us in in, in sort of making them a little bit more fluid, taking down the anxiety level. And, um, and getting to know each other for the real people that we are. Yeah, and that's exactly what this book does. It's a great book. Stephen Petro's Complete Gay and Lesbian Manners, and then a little thing says for every occasion, and that's so true. It's been great talking to you this morning, Stephen. Well, likewise, Catherine, and my mom is a social worker, so my hat goes off to you. <laughs> Thank you. We need all the support we can get, too. Social workers get a bad rap, too, sometimes. So, yeah, have a great day. All right, bye-bye, thanks. We're going to take a short break. I'm Catherine Zox. I'm your social worker with the microphone on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. We will be back in a minute. And uh, coming up next is Tracy Faust, author of Nowhere Near Normal. She's going to talk about her life uh, growing up as an ob- with obsessive-compulsive disorder and how this relates to some of the stuff that young women are struggling with today, obsessive body image issues. We'll be back in a minute. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and the Grow Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. You're listening to The Catherine Zock Show. I'm your social worker with a microphone on voiceamericavariety.com and World Talk Radio. My next guest is Tracy Faust. She's author of Nowhere Near Normal, 
her book chronicles her life growing up with obsessive compulsive disorder, or better known as OCD. Uh, she, anxiety and clinical depression also accompanied that. But today she's going to talk about or link, I guess, her experiences with the obsessive body image issues associated with young girls, specifically what Skechers, there's a lot of controversy about Skechers and their sneakers and Botox for girls. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Tracy. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Okay, so I, I want to make this connection. I know everybody, you know, you, you, your book is your memoir of growing up with OCD, um, but somehow you're connecting this to this kind of obsessive, compulsive, uh, I guess, yeah. behavior yeah. that young girls suffer from as a result of, what, advertising and the expectations that we have for them? Well, I think you hit it on the head when you said expectations. Uh, the, the main reason uh, that I suffered from so much anxiety that goes along with having obsessive-compulsive disorder was what a psychiatrist pointed out to me. She actually gave me a, a pamphlet to read when I was 13, when I was just starting therapy, and it said that something like um, 83% of time for teenagers worrying what other people think. And I thought about that for a long time. I went home and I read it and I thought, am I really spending 83% of my time worrying about what other people think of me? And as I got older and I would go to group therapy, uh, you know, trying to get to the core of why I was having panic attacks and why I was feeling nervous and anxious all the time, is absolutely true. I continuously, people saw what they thought, um, that they would see me have a panic attack or do obsessive-compulsive things like wash my hands continuously. And, you know, this whole thing about sketchers and body image, you know, I, I live in Southern California, first of all, so this is something that is rampant here. Um, it's kind of like it, these these young children are... So we're talking about young girls specifically. Young girls yeah. are obsessed mm-hmm. with their bodies. That right. They have to look a certain way. And we're talking about, I assume, girls who even like 12, 13 years old. Young, you know, actually we have something here called, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they're... Um, called what? I think something you're, I, I didn't... It's called a spa party. And it's a birthday party for young girls like 8 or 9 or 10 where you take all of their friends and you have their hair done, you have their nails done, they also go tanning. Um, you can get Botox injections, you can get lip injections, you can pretty much do whatever you want. And it's and this very is how old? Um, eight, nine, or ten. And it's eight or nine-year-old girls are getting Botox injections. Where do they get yeah, or Or lip injections as well. Um, and it, it's really... It's so it's so beyond crazy that there isn't even any words to describe what these parents who allow this kind of behavior are doing their child's future self-esteem, their self-esteem now, not to mention making marks on how they're going to choose a life partner, how well they're going to do in school. All kinds of things go with body image and self-respect and, and um, self-image. My question is, though, if they have... Parents are allowed to inject their their young girl, these young girls, eight or nine years old, with Botox. Uh, who's giving them the Botox? Where do you buy it? Do you have to buy it and get it from a physician, or how do they get have access to it? 
Yeah, they actually have Botox parties. A lot of uh, parties are given here where people get together and um, an esthetician who's not a physician, um, who's not an MD, but is still licensed to give injections in, into the face or certain parts of the body with this. But, you know, something that, does, that I don't understand is Botox is a, it's a toxin. Why is this not be? why are these parents not taken to jail for this? You know, you say you're in California. We're on the East Coast. We're in, I'm in the, on the East Coast in New York. Not quite as familiar with it here on the East Coast. I think there's probably more of an obsession, and I think with young yeah. girls, you know, it's outside California, you know, you bathing suits, the weather is, you know, is sort of um, conducive to showing off your body. So I think it gets exaggerated or exacerbated maybe. with Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, especially here in, in Southern California, it's not even uncommon. I have son is in high school, and he had last year actually he graduated the um, ninth grade, and um, there were two girls from his graduating class who got breast implants as graduating presents. So this is definitely, as you're describing it, an obsession with body image. Uh, with this Botox thing for young girls. Uh, And as I'm listening to it, and I would think that anyone listening to this could, and I can't understand how anyone would think that that would be healthy for these young girls to to be getting Botox when they were in really an elementary school. Um, I mean, I'm not sure in terms of a social problem is it how rampant it is. I hope not. I mean, is it just something that's, happens in California, or is this something well, that... no, talking- no, no. But the, the thing is that I, I believe a lot of it is the the mothers of these children. Um, you know, you take it, it... When you go to have a statistician spa, you, you take your daughter, and they have little areas for smaller girls who can sit and watch their, their mothers get all these procedures. And this is something else that is feeding into the idea that you have to do this, you have to spend money for this instead of spending money for, uh, you know, going to see a museum or getting a tutor if you're failing geometry or something like that. So much money is spent on making yourself look, and and really sadly to say that so many women, especially where I live, uh, they all look exactly alike. They all have these puffy faces and orange skin and it. You know, their daughters are quickly on their thing like that as well. So what do we do about it? I mean, you're the author. You've written a book about your, you know, obsessive-compulsive disorder. I guess what, how do we address this issue? And it's not simply with the Botox parties or the spa parties, but young girls are becoming hypersexualized. I think. Is that the term? I'm not sure. But yeah. um, Skechers. Skechers, the Skechers sneakers. There was also a problem with that. I think you were addressing that. The, the, yeah. Talk about that. They now the the Skechers shape ups. I didn't. I actually have a pair, and they're um, they help to tone the back of your legs, your butt, and your back, and they help with balance. Now you know this is kind of a double edged sword here because we have such an obesity problem with young children, and in kind uh, of for anything that will get them off the couch, get them outside, you know, and get them to exercise, get them away from video games or texting. Um, so I'm not sure, because I've seen the advertisements for the Skechers shoes. What was the controversy about the Skechers shoes? Well, that they were promoting, um, you know, that the, the 
the commercial for the adult Skechers, it shows a woman looking ha- looking at her backside in the in the mirror and then putting on her Skechers and feeling good about herself. But the commercial for the the small the smaller kids, it doesn't show that. It's just saying Skechers are cool. Get some Skechers on. Go outside. So I don't really feel like that was a huge issue. Um, but uh, you know, I, I there are girls here that are allowed to walk around in three inch heels and. That's okay, and to me, that's not okay because that's more saying, "Look, these heels make your legs look nice, and you should wear them with shorter skirts or shorts." And um, no, that's that's just not okay. I mean, we we pretty much don't wear anything but shorts and and skirts here, and uh, girls are shaving their legs at a really really young age and put doing the fake tanning, or we call it the mystic tan and wearing high heel shoes at a really young age. But apparently there were a lot of uh, petitions circulating online about the Skechers, and they were facing criticism because they were marketing the shape-ups, these shoes that you're talking about, yeah. this particular line, to young girls, which initially were, was developed for adult women, which you just mentioned, but it's supposedly to tone and shape the lower body. So I guess right. the criticism was that now they're marketing to young girls that they have to shape their bodies and tone up and, you know, they're just not buying sneakers to to go out and play in, but it has to do with looking good and keeping that body in shape, even if they're only eight or nine years old. Yeah, but it's no different than, I I really don't understand what all the controversy was for Skechers when it's absolutely no different than, I I don't know, with like the Bratz dolls, those, uh, they're not Barbie dolls, but they're dolls that are super popular or um, going to a, a spa party where you're where you're putting into a child's head that the best thing they can do for themselves is to look nice. Those messages are, um, you know, that's exactly what all of those things are doing. So do you feel that with all of that, these, these young girls, these young children, um, they kind of, this will contribute to them falling into this, obsessive behavioral patterns, that they're going to just be obsessed about their bodies if they start out at eight or nine with all the stuff that you've described in terms of, uh, you know, high heels and spa parties and Botox and the right sneakers and the right tan. Um, is that a yeah. precursor to, met, to, to uh, anxiety, depression, and obsessive compulsive disorder in later life? Absolutely. In fact, I used to actually go to uh, therapy with a girl who was obsessed about her eyebrows and her teeth, and she constantly had to look at her eyebrows all the time to make sure they were perfectly arched. And I mean about every 15 minutes, she would look in the mirror in her compact. She'd carry her tweezers. She'd brush her teeth constantly, floss them. This has to do with body image. And, um, you know, but this, the thing is for all of us, from the time we get up in the morning to the time we go to bed, most of our actions are centered around what people are going to think about us. We never really do anything without the without the thought of what is somebody going to say. We're going to take a break right now. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. We'll be back in a minute. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. This morning I'm talking to Tracy Faust. She's, she's an author. Her book was called, is called Nowhere Near Normal, and in her book she chronicles her life growing up with obsessive-compulsive disorder. And I guess we've been talking about how to, and a lot of young, and I, I, we, I don't really know the statistics in terms of how many women versus how many men uh, are diagnosed with obsessive-compulsive disorder, but I guess, Tracy, you're kind of relating this to um, young girls at an early age become obsessed with their bodies, and we, as a right, society, yeah. seem to be able to, we encourage it, we market it, we, um, you know, we're talking about seven, eight, nine-year-olds that we, oh, we for anybody who's just joining us, so who, especially in California, I guess, they uh, they have to have a, they have to look good, they have to be tan, they go to spa, spa parties, they get Botox and uh, get their eyebrows, what, Yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And all that. Um, so, and I guess what you're saying, this is kind of a precursor for uh, setting young girls up for OCD, depression, anxiety as adults. You know, it, it really is because the, the anxiety of uh, what other people think about us is, you know, it's socially ingrained into how we behave. And right, you know, rightfully so, a lot of that is okay because it helps us to fit in as social creatures. It helps us to finish school and, and get a job and um, be able to function in society when we care about what other people think. Otherwise, we would, you know, we would be sociopaths. But uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder, part of my brain, was constantly worried about people looking at me. What would they think if I fainted? What would they think if uh, they saw me wash my hands or wipe a doorknob before I touched it? And when you look at that, you know, you flip the coin over and look at that in regards to body image, it's really, there's no difference. It's the same thing. And to actively participate in your child's uh, worrying and fears of what other people think of them, it's the same as it's no different than telling an obsessive-compulsive, oh, somebody's watching you wash your hands and they all think you're crazy. There's, there's no difference than telling somebody, a, a young child, you should exercise a little bit more to get your butt in shape or why don't we go and um, have your hair colored? It looks so drab. You look so drab as a brunette or something like that. So what do you suggest for mothers, fathers, raising young girls? I mean, what, what can we do about it? What should we be doing? 
I what could your parents differently? Obviously, what happened, you know, we have a few minutes left. What happened in your life that you think contributed to your obsessive-compulsive disorder from a parenting point of view? Well, my mother was a single mother. I didn't really have anybody kind of not involved in my life, and I didn't have anybody to, um, to you know, spend a whole lot of time talking with me. And I watched a lot of television. I grew up watching TV. I had a TV in my room. We didn't text and everything, you know, that they do now. Um, but I certainly grew up watching soap operas. And I look at what young girls are watching today. My son has friends come over and the television is on. And I see these programs that depict young teenagers who are not only having babies, but who are constantly, constantly talking about boys, worried about boys, worried about how they look, what will boys think of them. But in these programs, I don't see a parent anywhere. I see a parent working and trying to make ends meet. I totally understand that. I'm, I, I'm, I was a single mom for a long time as well. Um, but, you know, that, that can't thing. It can't, it absolutely cannot be everything in your life. And um, for me... There were many times I was doing all sorts of things that my mother never knew about, but what I was doing mostly was worrying all the time about how somebody perceived me, whether physically or mentally. And at what point did you get help? Stages in my life, but my, the best thing that could have ever happened to me was when I was 13 and I uh, went to um, group therapy. I went to group therapy, and that's when I found people who were just like me, although I didn't want to admit it because there were some really strange phobias and uh, anxiety problems. But um, after a while, I looked around the room and I thought, you know, these people come from all different socio backgrounds. They come from all different. We're all just wanting to get better. Being able to talk to somebody, the fears of obsessive compulsive disorder are really, really out there. I, um, I used to have these visions of my mother's car. I grew up in San Francisco Bay Area, and I would think if I didn't um, if I didn't wipe the counter properly, my mom's car would fall over the Golden Gate Bridge. And I know that trying to make a connection to those two things it sounds absolutely insane. In my head, there was a definite connection there, and I I was so ashamed to tell anybody about that when I finally could go to group therapy and, and see, oh, wow, other people have very similar things, even more bizarre than me. That helped me tremendously. But, but going back to body image and, and what people think about you, the best two words that, that I ever heard it in my life that helped me to get through so much are the words, so what? And I, it, was, it turned into an affirmation for me to continuously say, so what? So what if I go to school and my hair is not right? So what if I uh, have to wash my hands? So what if I um, have to brush my teeth or pluck my eyebrows? Just just saying those words, those two words saying so what, it releases so much of the anxiety of what people think about you. That's really the core of what where my problems were. Well, let's, you know, we have to say goodbye, but, I mean, for okay. those who maybe find themselves in a similar position, can they go, do you have a website that they can go to? I do, uh, yeah. It's, it's Tracy Faust, and that's F-O-U-S-T, not F-A-U-S-T. Um, it's at WordPress. You can buy the book anywhere. You can go to Amazon, um, or if you just Google my website, there's also links to buy the book or uh, Barnes & Nobles or, or any borders, and um, 
and take a look at, in the back of the book, I have a lot of explanations of some of the things that we were talking about, about the image of, of young girls. And you had asked me before about girls being more affected by the anxiety issues, and it, it, it is actually one in every 200 adults. Being One in every so it is a problem. It is an issue. Yeah. So I and and so I do thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, um, thank you for no having me. I had a normal. Great That's Tracy Faust's book, and you can go online and you can buy it at bookstores everywhere. Um, have a good day. Thanks. Thank you so much. Yep. Coming up next is uh, Nicole Didon. She's the author of Slow Sex: The Art and Craft of the Female Orgasm. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. I'm Catherine Zox. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. I'm your social worker with a microphone on voiceamericavariety.com and World Talk Radio. My next guest is the author of Slow Sex, The Art and Craft of the Female Orgasm, Nicole Daydon. Well, uh... Everyone thinks they're good in bed. I'm not sure everyone thinks they're good in bed, but how much do men really know about female pleasure? Uh, my, a lot of my girlfriends would probably say not too much, but and, and they would be the statistics would bear them out because only 75% of women, 75% report that they cannot have orgasms during intercourse. 75%, that's a lot, and 72% report having faked in it orgasm, surprise, surprise, and 40 million American couples report living in sexless marriages. These are horrible statistics. That's why we uh, have Nicole on the show today, uh, and well, why we need her book. Welcome to, the, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Nicole. Hi, great to be on. I mean, unfortunately, you know, I would say those aren't necessarily, to me, startling statistics. Right. They, they kind of go along with my my own kind of anecdotal information that I have as a social worker, not just with clients, but with family and friends. They're awful. Most They're women, awful. Yeah. Right. So yeah. why is it? I mean, I, I don't even have to ask you why you wrote the book. I mean, I assume this is why you wrote the book and, and why you do what you do. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, a big bunch of cultural factors. I think we're a quick-fix culture. I think we're looking for, you know, like... You know, the, I don't know if you have heard about the new DSM-5 that will be out in 2013, and they have hypoactive 
sexuality desire disorder and they've created like a pill for it. And I just don't think that women's sexuality works that way. I don't think it works in a quick fix way. So we have this certain type of thinking that actually doesn't work with a woman's body. So, uh, you know, I should know about the DSM-5. I'm still stuck in the DSM-4, I guess. But so you're, <laughs> what's hypoactive? You mean underactive? Right. And so it's hypo is under and hyper is over. So hypoactive, so if you don't, is this to help you have an orgasm? Well, uh, the, right, the idea is, you know, they've, they've said that, you know, these women, there's something wrong with them. They don't have desire. What could it be? Let's give them a pill. Instead of saying, oh, these women, uh, they don't have desire because we aren't trained in how to actually work with a woman's body in a way that produces desire or, as you say, delivers orgasm. And, you know, and if you're having to fake it all the time, of course you aren't going to have a lot of desire. All you're going to do is learn how to fake it, and you'll right. get good at it. Right, um, right. And that, that's most of what's out there is how to fake it better. So, okay, so women can't, I mean, according to your book, uh, women have the capability. It's not that they have some, something physically wrong with them why they can't have an orgasm, and they have all the, most of them, you know, have the equipment and they have the ability but they don't know how to create it, don't know how to have orgasm themselves, and they don't know how to have with their partners, whether it's male or female, whoever their partner is. They don't know how to bring them to climax. Exactly. Yeah. I, um, you know, at this point, thousands of women have come through, and I've and I haven't seen a woman who isn't capable of orgasm, who isn't capable of all of the signifiers that we know orgasm to be, with the contractions and the swelling and the flushing and. It, most of it has to do with we have this idea that we have to uh, that we have to have our orgasm in a certain type of way that just doesn't work naturally for our bodies, and so it's this matter of getting back in, and it's really it's funny. Very little of it is physical; most of it is in the head. It's working with a woman's head around her ideas. You know, like most women are actually in their head. That's where we are when we're having sex. Do I look good? Am I doing this right? How long till it's over? And so it's a matter of bringing all of us back into our bodies. Don't you think there's also a misconception that was started a long time ago? Well, I guess with the Sigmund Freud, who who actually, you know, the father of psychoanalytic theory, who said that women's orgasms are vaginal when they're really clitoral. Amen. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> and we're still kind of going on that old theory, I think, or. And I also think that young men, young boys do not understand or know female anatomy, which is something, of course, that, that you talk about in your book. And you actually have a clinic for, for helping, helping, um, individual, helping women to um, have orgasms. Yeah, I think, you know, I had this idea to have a It was a written clean... up in the New York Times, by the way. I want everybody to know that. Right, yeah. It's, um, it's funny. We just, it, it, it seemed like kind of going on a lark having this, clinic and then lo and behold a lot of people want it and i think it's because our basic place where we get information about sexuality is porn we don't actually have anything that's geared toward you know the basics like you know we have these men come in and they can't find the clitoris <laughs> and it's not, not for surprised. lack of willingness well talk to us about just okay you know you can talk. I want specifically the name of the clinics are called One Taste, One Taste Urban Retreat Center, One Taste Urban Retreat Clinics in New York, in San Francisco. And at these clinics, you teach them the art and craft of the female orgasm. Right. Yeah. Really, um, we, what we teach is 
a practice. So, um, you know, I think we have this, again, like I said, this quick fix mind, this idea that you sort of get in there and everything gets fixed. And what we do is break it down and, and we have it be that you practice, you know, for a period of time, like just 15 minutes a day that begins to open slowly a woman's body. And we go back to basics. For example, we, you know, we show a man a woman's anatomy and so that they can begin to actually talk about what she likes. More often than not, a woman is saying, oh, a little to the left, a little to the right, you know, and trying to guide him. And she can't communicate what she wants, and he can't understand because it's such a high-tension situation. Do you think men feel, and I don't know how you handle this at one taste, but do you, which is an interesting name, but men, do you think it, it also don't like to be told, in, if, if they're told in bed what they should be doing, a little to the left, a little to the right, then they feel threatened. Their masculinity feels threatened. Then they lose their erections, and then it, it ends up in this, this uh, disaster, bedroom disaster. <laughs> I, 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 you know, honestly, my experience is that if you slow it down for a guy, he just wants to do it right. And he's embarrassed if we're sort of shouting out, directions to him and we're shouting them out because we aren't quite sure exactly what we want and so if my experience is time and again if we slow it down for men and we give them very specific small increments of description in terms of what we'd like again and again and again they're dying to come through so we have to give them the benefit of the doubt um, and you're talking about, I, I mean, I assume you're not talking, when do you teach them this? I mean, do you, should you t- teach them this when they're 16? Well, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I start working with people 18 and up, and, and I, I would love it if our um, sex ed in high schools were changed. Actually, rather than just, you know, focusing on procreation, if it were focused on fulfillment, I think you'd have a, a much healthier culture as a whole if, you know, if people were just basically nourished in this arena. They would be more satisfied and perhaps we'd have less divorces. I mean, it's all tied up. I mean, if you're talking about what, what was the statistics that uh, I read initially, that 40 million American couples live in a sexless marriage, that doesn't make for people staying together. And question, and that's often where I get people. I mean, I have couples that have been together. I have a couple. They've been together 28 years, and they haven't touched in 18. We're just going back to basics, just how to how to touch each other. And why have what what, what do they say? Why haven't they touched each other? They're too busy doing other stuff. Yeah, we, we're, we're too busy. And often, what ends up happening is they get hopeless. There, you know, I, I see a lot of people who have hit the point of hopelessness, like. Um, because she really wasn't enjoying it. And you can only fake it for so long. And then pretty soon you just watch it die. And so, you know, these women come, like some women come and they've actually cut out the article from the New York Times and they come in, you know, just with a last hope. Like, please let something work. Because we we just have not been told how to work with our bodies. Do you think that's why Arnold Schwarzenegger was sleeping with the maid? (laughs) Well, I think it gets... I think it's extremely, <laughs> extremely complex, but I, my experience is that if a woman is happy and fulfilled and she actually knows how to have a guy feel successful in terms of fulfilling her, uh, the chances of him wandering are less. I think what ends up happening is as women, we get so hungry that we get kind of cranky. Yep. 
I mean, my girl, I have a, an example. My girlfriend's husband left her two years ago after 20, 30, no, it was like 35 years of marriage. And I said to her, so how was your sex life? You know, were there any hints? Oh, we haven't had sex in 15 years. I said, well, maybe that, you know, uh, it's, <laughs> that might be a signifier. Surprise. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I, I write about in the book that often women are absolutely amazed that these, you know, these other women are coming in and these women aren't as smart or as pretty or as powerful, you know, but their husbands are leaving them for these other women. And it's that these women are nice. You know, I think nice is highly underrated in, in terms of being a woman. And I think a lot of us women have overachieved ourselves out of, you know, our basic levels of intimacy and vulnerability that really are the source of our power. Yeah, we actually got out of the bedroom and into the corporate boardroom. Right. Um, how did you get into this, Nicole? It was so strange. I, I was teaching, uh, as a graduate teaching associate at San Francisco State, and I was in gender communications, and I handed out a questionnaire, and I was a young feminist, and I handed out a questionnaire, and it was, what do you want to know about sex? And it was a group of women, and all of them came back with, what's wrong with me? And I realized, oh my God, here, here I am, I'm thinking we're sexually liberated. And it, and we all feel wrong. We, we've traded our fulfillment for our rights. And, and something, and I didn't have an answer, but at the time I, was, I also practiced sitting meditation. So I knew that there was some way um, to go in deeper. And I just began an exploration, and you know, here I am, I don't know, 18 years later. I think you, it, 18 years later, that's, you've had a lot of experience. Uh, you know, you probably should be teaching, you know, you talk about sex education in school. Well, what about sex education at home? You know, parents think that they've done a good job if they tell their, I don't know, anywhere from their nine-year-old about where babies come from, and then that, that you know, and they have a realistic idea of, of uh, you know, how you procreate. But then that's just kind of, that's really the first course, the kindergarten course. They don't go any further than that. Maybe it's the responsibility of mothers and fathers to tell their children or explain to their children about female orgasms. You should be teaching classes to the parents. That would be wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think, uh, well, I would actually want to start at just how to, how to begin to talk about, I, I think I would want to start with the fact that this is important, and then how to begin to talk about it to each other first, and then begin to talk to our kids about it. I think, you know, our kids are picking up on sort of this idea that it's shameful and not worthy of talking, not worthy to talk about, right? And as soon as we start talking to each other as adults about it, I think it'll trickle down in a really organic way. The, the, giving them permission, it's okay. I, I think you're right. It doesn't have to perhaps be so didactic, but it becomes just a part of, of discussion um, right. amongst adults. We only have a couple minutes left. This is fascinating. So if anyone wants to either, well, say, is having a problem with orgasms and may in a couple, or well, I guess, do you have to go in as a, cu a couple, or do you? How does that work? Definitely, you come in as a couple, but we also have a, a whole online. Um, like we, for example, we have an online six-week course that singles can take, it all all the way from how to begin to um, ask for what you want, and uh, you know, into diving into a deep practice. You know, my idea is that I I would love for couples to have um, rather than you know. We got married and we're living a life of diminishing returns in our sex lives to a life that's incrementally 
getting better. So it doesn't even have to be that you have a problem. It can be that you want to explore how to have your sex life get better for the rest of your life. Okay, because that's the art and craft. It's not just it's a craft, but it's an art, and you can always be improving on your art. Yeah, exactly. So if we want to get go online, give us the website we can go to so we can get all this information, whether we, we want to buy the book, we want to take the online course, or we actually want to come into One Taste in New York or San Francisco to have the course in person. Great. So it's the website is onetaste.us, and the book is Slow Sex, the Art and Craft of the Female Orgasm, and it's on Amazon. Terrific. Very interesting, and uh, you'll probably get a lot of hits today. <laughs> <laughs> it's easier yeah, to do it online because you're more anonymous so you could kind of get through that barrier anyway we're going to say goodbye thanks Great. so much for being thank on the show thank you so much Bye-bye. I'm Catherine Zox I'm your social worker with a microphone you've been listening to voiceamericavariety.com on the Catherine Zox show I uh, hope you had a good morning have uh, a great week and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday we hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Catherine Zox show You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.